0: Let's turn again to Acts 2 and uh, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Acts 2 and verse 42. Now, there are many churches, many denominations, many new movements. Uh, Who has the truth? What is a true church? We are reading here um, at the fountainhead of Christianity. Thousands of people had repented hearing the preaching of Peter. And they were baptized as new Christians on the day of Pentecost. And they all shared from that time forward with four characteristics. The four marks of a gospel church, a true church. They devoted themselves, first of all, to the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of of the New Testament. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship, the influence that we have, one over the other, of those of us who receive the apostles' teaching. Thirdly, there was the breaking of bread. And fourthly, there was prayer. These are the four marks of real Christian churches. And we're examining them then, then, um, those four elements that make up gospel life. We had a fascinating account on Tuesday of uh, front life work then for Christians in Albania. He said virtually all of them had come out from Islam. And what is expected from them when everything is new to them? when they haven't got the momentum of, of, of a Christian tradition that shaped them and perhaps twisted them, well, these four things are necessary, that they diligently go on believing what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and Peter, and Paul, and Jude, and James, what they have recorded for us, as well as what the inspired scriptures of the Old Testament have, have given to us and that they obey this teaching, and that they continue in Christian fellowship. They're not loners. They're involved, and they've got this responsibility to one another. And that they continue to break bread, and that they go on praying. That's, that's, those are the basics. They're very simple and very straightforward. Are they not? And today we're going to look at the third mark of a gospel church, the breaking of bread. Now, the main commentators and expositors of the Book of Acts are F. F. Bruce and Alexander and Dr. Lloyd-Jones and John Stott and Howard Marshall and Dennis Johnson and James Montgomery Boyce. They are all are persuaded that this refers to the Lord's Supper. And the older commentators then, people like Matthew Henry and Poole, and they do the same. Uh, one familiar commentator who rejects that is our Derek Thomas who takes it to refer to a kind of fellowship lunch. And there are others who do that. I was in a conference in Bala when one of the speakers last year said he believed that it referred to that. A meal together. It could end then in the Lord's Supper, like Passover ended in the Lord's Supper. But I go along with a majority in this issue. It is speaking of Holy Communion. Otherwise, uh, both the second and the third characteristics are about fellowship. The phrase in our text is literally the breaking of the bread. And there's a certain specificity, I knew I'd get that wrong, and formality um, about that phrase. We're told that the new converts instantly began to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that follows, of course, from the fact that as soon as they repented and believed, they were baptized. The Lord Jesus had told them, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these thousands of men then were uh, professed faith. And they didn't say, oh, now we must hold back. He had said, make disciples and baptize them. And they baptized all of and he had also said, then, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so immediately after Pentecost then and their conversion, they were introduced to the two ordinances of the church. There was uh, the point ordinance, which is baptism, and there's the linear ordinance, which is uh, the Lord's Supper. So... The new converts were being drawn in then to uh, new patterns of life. The first day of the week was important for them. The structures of uh, the Jerusalem congregation, uh, the Lord's Day, and preaching and teaching. Uh, Special gatherings were instruction and prayer and fellowship, the Lord's Supper, baptisms. They were baptized by men, not by women. They weren't baptized by novices, but by the leaders. And the same uh, ministers and elders led the Lord's Supper. The Supper was set within then a holy spiritual organization. Uh, We call it the church. The local congregation, the pillar and ground of the truth. The body of Christ. And at the end of the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 plus members of the church. And people were in charge of then working out how to implement and organize the Lord's Supper. You grasp the logistics of that. Um, So many wineskins bursting with wine had to be ordered and purchased. And uh, bread had to be baked. And if they were meeting in 12 groups then, uh, say 300 in each group, then each group had delegated provide the bread and provide the wine and uh, guard the table now, fence the table so that those that don't agree with uh, the uh, apostles' doctrine and are saying Jesus didn't do that and wasn't God, fence the table so that they can't come in. Straight away they were conscious that they belonged now to uh, people that were called out ones, that's what The church ecclesia means they they were separated. They were light in darkness. They were salt in rottenness and decay. And Christ was showing them that he was going to build his church. But this was the means that he used to build his church. By uh, these four marks. And by these ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And by the preaching of the word of God. Now, we're not told how frequently the Jerusalem Christians, who were soon to number more than 8,000 people, we're not told how often they celebrated the Lord's Supper. The sheer logistics of organizing such an event would be daunting. And there are the paucity of references to the Lord's Supper. In the New Testament, one gospel doesn't mention the Lord's Supper at all. And it's not often found in the book of Acts. And so that encourages us to think that uh, it wasn't done every day or not even every Lord's Day, maybe monthly or maybe at the same time as the great feasts in Jerusalem. No one knows how often they broke bread and it doesn't say in the Bible, you've got to do it every week. All we're told in the Bible is whenever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup whenever a congregation decides to do so. And I would think a congregation would need to be a very holy and a, a very mature congregation full of the Holy Spirit if it was going to break bread every single Sunday. Otherwise then it would become something peremptory and and a traditional occasion threatened by the force that all of us are battling with now, a barren familiarity with holy things. So, the first thing I want to do, and I'm going to divide this up into two, <clears throat> what didn't Jesus mean when he said, this is my body? What didn't he mean? Let's cut, remove some of the clutter and confusion that there is about the Lord's Supper. Should we interpret that in a strictly literal way? You remember the occasion? I read it in your hearing. It was the Last Supper. And they'd eaten a a meal together. They'd eaten the lamb, and they'd eaten the um, the herbs, the bitter herbs, and... uh, it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they'd that together. And then Jesus took the bread in his hands and gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Now they were looking at Jesus, weren't they? Like you are looking at me now. Um, he was there in his literal, physical body with a voice and a larynx and a tongue and lips that spoke to them. And he, they were seeing him holding a piece of bread in his hands. It's not the case that this is after the resurrection in the upper room. He went back to the upper room, the risen Christ did, and spoke to them. And he seems to have a body that possessed different capacities and powers than it had when he had lived before his crucifixion. So uh, some people might then have said if he had instituted... The Lord's Supper after his resurrection, where well, the body had different properties. But this was the Jesus who was bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, made in all points as we are, except for sin. And he said to them, Take, eat. This bread is my body. Do you think? Do you imagine? that any of those disciples thought that he was telling them that this bread had miraculously changed and had become part of the body that he had as he stood before them. Of course, they didn't suppose any such thing. They would understand him to say something like, this stands for my body. This represents my body. In fact, the word is, is not in the original at all. Uh, Literally, it's simply this, my body. And so it could easily be translated, this represents my body. Imagine me showing you now a a photograph of uh, one of my daughters and say, this is a Larry. Well, you wouldn't imagine for a moment I was saying that, that colourful picture that I'm showing you is actually the, the flesh and blood of my daughter, Larry. It's a figure of speech. Jesus often used figure of speech. I am the door, he said. He didn't mean that literally. He said that it was the, um, the entrance into the sheepfold, and it wasn't a literal sheepfold, was it? He said, I am the true vine. And he uses pictures. And he uses illustrations to help him to understand spiritual truths about who he is and what he's able to do. It's quite unwarrantable for us to say when he said, this is my body, that he was claiming that it was literally now his physical body. Look at the context. He's going away and they'd see him no more. But in order to remember him, Another aid to their memories, they were to break the bread. He was giving them this reminder of himself and his death. The bread spoke of his body, and the wine spoke of his shed blood. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance. The bread and the wine are memorials, they're reminders, because you know we are fighting in dwelling, remaining sin. And that doesn't want us to think of that. He wants us to think of politics and sport and exams and girlfriends. And so the Lord Jesus makes sure that uh, he uses another means of capturing our memories and our thinking. Now, you don't need a memorial of someone if that person is actually there. You don't need a memorial of me this morning because I'm here. And if Jesus is actually there in bread and wine, you don't need a remembrance of him. He's there. But if he's absent from us, if he is seated at the right hand of God, if he is the center of the delight of heaven, then we can thank him for bread and wine that helps us to remember him. Remember that he he died for us because he loved twerps like us. And then you see what he says, in the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now, if you are insisting that this is my body must must be interpreted in a strictly literal way, how are you to understand this cup This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, in the passage that is read to you before the Lord's Supper in in 1 Corinthians, uh, or in any of the Gospels, in their description of the Lord's Supper, the word uh, wine isn't found. It's the word cup. If you're going to be very literalistic, you'll have to say that it's the receptacle. It's the clay-fired cup, which is the obvious thing. And that would be absurd, would it not? If Jesus was intending us to understand that the wine actually changed into his hemoglobin, he'd have said, this wine is my blood of the new covenant. He didn't say that. He said, this cup. This cup. And so let's understand his words. Don't let's understand my body in a literal way. That the bread is that body. When Paul speaks to Christians in Corinth. You know, a thousand miles away. Right in the heart of uh, the Greek world. Twenty years later about breaking bread he doesn't say to them as often as you eat the body of Christ and drink his blood you show the Lord's death until he comes you know that would be unfamiliar what have I said wrong if I said those words at the Lord's Supper he writes to them about eating the bread the bread he says and drinking the cup he says the bread is still the bread and the wine is still wine and we're going to continue to eat bread and wine until Jesus comes. But those men are saying, the body is now physically there. The, wo- the blood is now physically there. In in the bread and wine. And it's meaningless to say until he comes, because he's there already. He's there in the bread. He's there in the wine. It's his body and literally it says blood literally why am i going on about this does it matter if there are those who have this idea about the change that takes place in the bread and wine and it's transformed into the body and blood of of christ does it really make any difference some people believe it and some don't well it does make a difference it, Firstly, the sheer numbers of those who believe this. There are 1,200 million Roman Catholics who are taught this. 1,200 million. 483 million in uh, South and Mid-America. 277 million in Europe. 117 million in Africa. 137 million in Asia. 85 million in North America. They are all taught this interpretation of the Lord's Supper. Hundreds in Aberystwyth. 1,200 million people are taught that as they struggle with sin and as they fall each week, they need grace. And so they go to Mass and they kneel at the altar and a, a wafer, the bread, in the form of a wafer, is put on their tongue and they get grace to help them face another week. And then that uh, wears out through the week and next Sunday they go there and they kneel at the altar and they get the grace to go on living a Christian life. I'm saying it's a very popular era for millions of people. Now, let me say a couple of things. This idea that the Bread becomes the body of Christ is an essential part of a view that sees the mass, as they call it, the breaking of bread, as a sacrifice. Here's the uh, the catechism of the of the Catholic Church. It's an international bestseller. It says at the top, and John Paul II, uh, the, the Pope, says, uh, uh, "Sure." norm for teaching the truth. So it's an official Roman Catholic book about the breaking of bread. This is what it says. In the Eucharist, Christ gives us the very body which he gave us, gave up for us on the cross, the very blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross, is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. And according to this view, then, the work of our redemption by Jesus Christ was not finished once and forever when our Lord died and rose again. But it's something that goes on in every Mass. So there are a million Masses being said all over the world at this Moment, Tens of thousands every day. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is being re-offered as a sacrifice to obtain forgiveness for those who then receive the wafer, the, the bread. We are told very clearly a number of times in the New Testament that Jesus' work was done perfectly and all sufficiently by him once and for all. The letter to the Hebrews. Listen. This is chapter 7, 26 and 27. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices Day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You say, well, that's just one reference in the Bible. It might mean something else. Okay, here's another reference then, um, and that's in Hebrews 9. Christ did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews nine, twenty-five to 28. Here's another verse. Hebrews 10, 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God since that time. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. My friends, what could be more clear? To the law and to the testimony. We are invited now to come to this Jesus, our prophet and priest, and king. to come just as we are. Come unto me. Come. That's what you've got to do. Come to him. You go to Jesus. You don't come to an altar. You don't come to the bread and the wine. You go to Jesus Christ. It's a movement of your heart and your soul as the word of God tells you what to do and the Holy Spirit applies it. And then you go to him. The church may not take the place of Jesus. And the second thing I want to say is that the idea that the bread becomes the body of Christ results in the bread or the wafer after the Mass being hallowed and worshipped. The Mass is kept in a little box. It's called a tabernacle. It's a little house. And there's a, a light over if You go into cathedrals. Now they have been influenced by Anglo-Catholicism and you'll find them there. You'll find a row of chairs and you'll find a little box uh, and it's locked and inside of it there's uh, the wafer from the last time they had a mass. And this same catechism, it says The Catholic Church must find a most worthy place with the greatest honor to foster adoration because the Lord is really present in the blessed sacrament of the altar. When I was a boy, there used to be once a year a fascinating procession for little boys. It was called Corpus Christi. And along the street there, a long line of people, the little girls in pretty white uh, dresses going to their first communion. And then there was... uh, This altar was carried, this little box, uh, this tabernacle with the wafer, and it was adored and loved because Jesus was there. Isn't it important that we know the, the Apostles' teaching about what Jesus did by himself when he loved us? And he gave himself for us. That he did a good and decent job of what his father had given him to do. He didn't do half a job. It needs to be repeated by men dressed up in religious costumes for 2,000 years. He didn't fail to save us so that we are heading for purgatory and we've got to spend centuries there while people pay for masses to be said for us to deliver us. From the purging that has to go on for the sins that Jesus failed to save us from. He said, it is finished. He completed his saving work. Finished means finished. And all false beliefs, they lead in the end to idolatry. You worship cult leaders. Men and women bowing before a little box where a wafer is locked are being told that you do that because inside it is the real body of Jesus Christ. If the bread we break remains bread still, we believe it's still bread, it doesn't become the physical body of Christ. Then And you're worshipping a piece of bread. You're bowing down to a created thing. It's a form of idolatry. You can't say, well, you know, some people believe this and others don't and we've got to get along and and work together. Of course, we don't... We're wise and caring. We work together with our Roman Catholic friends. Some of them are just terrific people they are they are terrific people mm-hmm. and they work for uh, the family and they suffer for the family and they've lost their jobs and they suffer for the unborn child so we deeply respect them but the worship of god is very serious and very important. And is the climactic aspect of when we gather on the Lord's Day. The mass. And the lifting up of the wafer. And the bell tinkling. So that everyone knows that transubstantiation has taken place. And that, that the wafer has become the body of Christ. Literally. Four marks of a true church. Okay. The apostles teaching. it. Godly fellowship that comes from the teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, not saying Hail Marys, not saying Our Father, but prayer that's fresh and creative and from the spirit of prayer that's within our hearts. We don't need to define a church by our traditions and link it to um, a, a big city in southern Italy and a religious leader there who claims that he is the vicar of Christ, the representative of Christ. We don't need that the bread should change in its substance. We don't need to worship God in, in any way except what we find here in the, in the Word of God. All those who came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost, they came by faith and repentance. And then they were baptized. And then they, they broke bread straight away and continued to do so. We don't undervalue it. All right, let me tell you what it is that in this uh, little postscript at the end. Why did our Lord say to us, observe the Lord's death, break bread. Why did he say that? Well, firstly, he instituted it. He did say it. Um, He didn't institute marriage. Marriage is a creation ordinance. So marriage isn't a sacrament. Just two sacraments, two ordinances. But our Lord put all his authority behind the breaking of bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we do it because it's a privilege to please God. If the Lord instigated it, then it's not useless. Good will come when you sit down, having professed faith in Christ and come into the church when the bread is offered to you and the wine is offered to you. Secondly, the the breaking of bread was instituted at the Passover. The Lord's Supper takes us back to bondage. Then in in Egypt and the deliverance of God God hearing their cries and God delivering them from condemnation and judgment and it's a great feast of deliverance the Lord's Supper we remember Him who by His coming into the world and His death and His resurrection delivered us from our captivity to unbelief and sin. The Passover Lamb in the upper room pointed to the Lamb of God. Our God is a God of redemption. And thirdly, the breaking of bread commemorates the atoning death of Jesus Christ. That body was broken. He didn't die peacefully of malaria or cancer or heart disease surrounded by his loved ones holding uh, his hand and his pastor praying for him. His life was wrenched from him. His soul was torn out of his body in death. A terrible death to accomplish our redemption. And that's the gospel. He didn't offer his sufferings alone to God. He didn't offer his blood only. He didn't offer his obedience only. He didn't offer his human nature only. He offered himself to God on our behalf He is the ransom price paid. He is the propitiation of God's wrath. He appeased the wrath of God by His death. And God is reconciled. He did so. He came. Jehovah Jesus came. The God-man came. And all the properties of divinity were in that blood that was shed. Omniscience. Omnipotence. Infinitude. And it's there. And so it's powerful. As a cleansing of our sin. He did it. It wasn't just uh, the failed prophet that was crucified. But I have power to lay down my life and I have power to raise it again. So the Lord's Supper is a Eucharist. That means a thanksgiving. And we come and we sing a hymn like, Come, let us join our cheerful songs with angels round the throne. Ten thousand, thousand are their tongues, but all their joys are one. We are happy and blessed. We don't come stony-faced and broken-hearted when we come and eat the bread and drink the cup. It's a feast of joy. Again, the breaking of bread is participating in a meal. It's a shared event. We have to take it in. This is my body. Take it and eat it, he says. So the Christian life only begins when Christ is in you. To as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God. You've you've said, come into my heart. Come into my life. Come as Lord. Come as King. Come as Savior. Come as the Lamb of God into my life. It's uh, then also it is a, um, a communion meal it's not an individual snack it's not a personal picnic it's a designated meal that you eat with the family of God you see, these are my people Lloyd-Jones coming out as a young engaged man with his wife from uh, the Leicester Square Theatre where he'd been and seen a play that everyone had to see And he was there, and as he came down the stairs, thinking, what was it after all? Clever and witty. And then he heard music, and there was a Salvation Army band, and it was playing, playing familiar, lovely hymns. And an event of recognition took place in his heart, and he said, these are my people. I belong to these people for the rest of my life I'll I'll stand with them I'll pray for them I'll serve them i live with them and for them these are my people and that's what the Lord's Supper says we sit with people none of them is perfect but they're our brothers and sisters they're the family of of God the breaking of bread a communion meal and then the breaking of bread has a future reference what are the last words I say at, at the Lord's Supper? I say, Till he come. We're looking back to the cross. We're looking around at the people of God he's saved. And we're looking forward then. What lies before us? Is it a, a long day's journey into night? Is it despair? Is it going to end where all Shakespeare's tragedies ends? Where the Lord of the Flies ends? where all the big movies end in sadness or is it going to end in hope and joy and resurrection and a new heavens and a new earth fullness of joy in his presence forevermore that's where it's going to end when you see me you will be like me and we are looking forward then to the marriage feast of the Lamb where we will no longer be breaking bread but we will be feasting as the bride. Our long courtship over, the consummation of our marriage, begun. A new heavens and a new earth. And so the host says, "You come to the Lord's supper. You come." And when the um, when the stewards come and they take the bread and they offer it to you, take it if you believe in Christ. It's not given to perfect men and women. It's for sinners. That's the condition. Are you a sinner? Is your hope of deliverance and cleansing and salvation in Jesus Christ? You take it. You may feel as cold as a refrigerator. You may feel as unbelieving as your dog. But if you know, I'm a hopeless person, I'm inconsistent. I'm a sinner. But Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He's my hope. Take the bread. Take the cup. And keep trusting in the Savior. That's the mark of a true church. The Apostles' teaching. Christian fellowship. Breaking of bread. Lord, bless your word to us today. Deliver us oh Lord it's time for a great reformation in our land in Europe through the world the people should be deluded with such error and we are so small but how hast thou wonderfully changed the world again and again and revived thy truth oh please do it again Lord deliver men and women for resting in traditions and in rituals, but enable them to put their trust in the living Savior who comes, where we gather and speaks to us and offers himself the bread of heaven. Feed us now and evermore, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.